The last class of my old professor's life took place once a week in his house by a window in the study where he could watch a small hibiscus plant shed its pink leaves. The class met on Tuesdays. It began after breakfast. The subject was the meaning of life. It was taught from experience. No books were required, yet many topics were covered, including love, work, community, family, aging, forgiveness, and finally, death. The last lecture was brief, only a few words. A funeral was held in lieu of graduation. The last class of my old professor's life had only one student. I was the student. It's always a matter of vision and understanding of where you and the culture fit. And if the culture doesn't fit you, you don't buy it. Mm -hmm. And most of my life, I haven't bought it. Mm -hmm. That was the voice of Maury Schwartz, and I am Mitch Album, the host of Tuesday People, the podcast. And that's what you're listening to. We're glad to have you joining us here, inspired by the lessons from my old professor that ultimately made up the book Tuesdays with Maury. And we're kind of redoing that decades later uh, in the podcast world, joined by my friend and erstwhile producer, Lisa Goich. Hi, Lisa. Hello, Mitch. Happy Tuesday and happy Tuesday to all the Tuesday people out there. This is uh, all Tuesdays now, all days now in the post-Christmas, the post-Thanksgiving realm have a, have a name to them. You know, there's Giving Tuesday, I think, maybe today, and there's Cyber Monday and Black Friday and Wowie Wednesday and all that. So... Today, though, we call it Wednesday. That's a big one. That's a big one. It's wow. It's like warrants a wowie. Uh, And it it kind of leads a little bit to what we're going to be talking about today, which you heard in that opening clip. If you don't like the culture, don't buy it. Now, Maury Schwartz said that to me, man, 20, 24 years ago already. And it is as pertinent today as the minute that the words came out of his mouth, maybe even more so, because today we're going to talk about when you feel like the world, the country, your neighborhood, your workplace is going in one direction that you just don't feel comfortable with. What do you do? How do you buck the trend? How do you go against the tide? How do you sort of stand out without being ridiculed, without being made fun of, without risking something? This is what the essence of if you don't like the culture, don't buy it means. And when Maury first brought that up, he was really referencing the ethos of making more money, more money is good bigger is good, all the rest of that. And that was something that Maury never bought into. But really, it can be applicable to anything. The culture of celebrity that we have today, the incessant politics that we have today, um, the crazy entertainment addiction that we have today, or the phone addiction that we have today. All those types of things are part of the culture. So let me start by telling you a story that I kind of showed me early on that Maury really was a little bit abnormal when it came to just following trends. So Maury, before he got sick and before he suffered from ALS, he liked to dance. And his wife was a little bit more reserved than he was and didn't want to go out publicly dancing in places. And Maury, on the other hand, just loved to dance. So what did he do? He went to this church in Harvard Square where they had a program on Wednesday nights called Dance Free. 
where you paid five bucks and you went in and you could dance any way you want. I don't know why they called it dance free if you had to pay five bucks. I've still been trying to figure that part out. <laughs> I asked him that. He had no answer for me on that. But he would, he would go in and he would dance with anybody. And they were mostly kids. And he would dance with the rumba and the tango and the merengue, all those kinds of things. Even though they were playing rock and roll music, he would still dance those dances to them. And he just, he had no shame about that because he loved to dance. And he didn't let the culture tell him, you're too old to be at a place like this. You can't be here if you're married. You're not here with your wife doing that's something wrong. There was nothing wrong with what he was doing. He was expressing his joy. He, he loved it. And he didn't let convention keep him from dancing. And I always remember that example, Lisa, because, you know, dancing was something that he was robbed of when he contracted mm -hmm. ALS. And he used to say, you know, if I, uh, if I would ask him a question like, if you could have an hour right now to be you know, perfectly fine, what would you do? And he'd always included dancing. You know, he always wanted to mm -hmm. go back to dancing. But that kind of said to me, wow, all right, we're dealing with somebody who doesn't, you know, go by convention. Another time when he was at Brandeis University, there were some kids who were protesting the war and they were, you know, marching or whatever the case was. It was during the Vietnam years. And uh, they were being threatened that if they missed classes or they protested or something like that, that they, they couldn't get grades. Therefore, they would have to flunk out. So They'd be expelled or yeah, something. Yeah. Yes. So Maury yeah. suggested they got the sociology department together and suggested, let's just give them all A's. That way, everybody gets an <laughs> A. So everybody gets an A. Yeah. Then you can't say who was there and who wasn't there and who missed it and who wasn't there. So again, whether right or wrong, whether you agree with him or not, he wasn't afraid to sort of go against whatever the, the popular culture was. And, and interestingly, he did not have a colored television set, you know, or a big, well, they didn't have big screens back then, but I mean, he wouldn't have had one now. He didn't spend a lot of time watching TV. He kind of made his own circle of friends. And uh, here's the last example I'll give you. He used to have discussion groups. And I would say to him, well, wh what does that mean, a discussion group? He said, well, you know, we have these discussion groups. And that night we come over, we don't watch TV, we get together, we have these discussion groups. I said, well, like what? Give me an example. He said, oh, well, let's see. We just did one not long ago about how to deal with the nuclear threat. I said, <laughs> you had a discussion group about how to deal with the nuclear threat. He said, yeah. I said, well, who was in your discussion group? He said, well, you know, the guy across the street, and there's a guy who's an artist, and there's a guy who works in maintenance, and we all came over here, you know, a handful. And I said, well, did you solve the nuclear threat? And he said, no, but we talked to one another, uh, and we made ourselves feel better. And I thought, wow, you know, like scheduling a night where you're just going to pick a topic, and you're all going to get together and kind of share your thoughts on it. And especially something like the nuclear threat, which I guess Maury really worried about and made him, made him feel better. At first, that sounds like, oh, such a hippie thing to do, you know. And then you realize, oh, well, how much better is it to just sit at home and watch nine straight hours of sitcoms or, or old shows or watch The Office for the 150th time, which I have to admit I'm guilty of doing. Right. Uh, you know, <laughs> so... When I really thought about it, I said, well, of course, that's a better use of time, but it's kind of countercultural, right? It doesn't go with yes. the convention. It's not normal, right? Still very worth doing. I'm going to play you something from a, uh, a time when we were talking about the culture's emphasis on being number one. And Maury went to a, a basketball game and he heard everybody chanting, we're number one, we're number one. 
and he decided that he would challenge that. Here it is. Where was it? Some game I went to. Mm-hmm. Basketball game. Right. We're number one. We're number one. Mm. I say, hey, what's wrong with number two? Huh. Never thought about that. No. So he stood up and he said, what's the matter with being number two? And he totally flummoxed <laughs> the whole crowd. Right. Uh, and, you know, and, and then he sat down and he was perfectly he made his point and he was perfectly fine. Right. So it's that type of thing where, you know, what, what, what I'm trying to illustrate early on is, OK, number one, it is all right to do something that is against the norm. You don't have mm-hmm. to worry about, you know, what, what, what will happen to me if I say, what's the matter with being number two? Nothing happened to him. And nothing happened to him by dancing and nothing yeah. happened to him. He just led his life. Okay. So that's point number one. You can do it. Now, number two, are you willing to do it? Do you want to make that kind of, you know, dropout, so to speak? And if so, how do you mm-hmm. do it? All right. Well, let's say we're talking about cell phone technology, social media. This, I think, is a huge, huge issue. It's come up over the course of the last 10 years, and the studies, are, the studies aren't even caught up with how much damage is being done by social media and by our addiction to social media. And I, I, I remember reading some statistic on a radio program not long ago. I think it was something like eight or nine hours a day now is the average time that a kid spends in front of a screen not counting school, not counting mm-hmm. homework. So I'm trying to figure out when does anybody sleep? But you realize a lot of people sleep, they sleep with their their phones. So are you willing to just sort of put down your phone and say, I'm not going to do it? Have you ever tried that? Oh, I have. Well, you know, I have this, um, a lot of phones come with this now. It's sort of a, I think it's called like a wellness app or meter or something. Mm -hmm. It comes with my phone and you can see how much you look at your phone during the day and then it'll break it down into where you were on your phone. Were you on text messages? Were you on on Facebook or whatever? And I was surprisingly low, way lower than I thought that I was. I thought it was going to say I was online for like, you know, 18 hours a day, (laughs) but it was something crazy, like an hour and a half. But there's this new thing, uh, the Pomodoro technique. Have you heard about this? No. It's really great. I learned it in one of my writing classes. And you can use it for anything. And you could use it for your social media. Although, unfortunately, it would require using your phone to set your timer. But they have all these different timer apps available. And it basically, you can, the timer goes for like 25 or 30 minutes. And you set your timer. And in that time, you're not supposed to do something. So if it's don't use your phone, don't go on social media, clean your house, whatever you want to do it gets you away from doing that thing. And I use that sometimes to not go on social media. Like I'll set it and, and it, then it gives you five minutes to do whatever it is that you're trying to stop doing. And then it resets and you go back to your 25 minutes of not okay, doing Okay, there's something. something a little weird about having to rely on your phone to tell you that you can't use your phone or okay, can't well, do something. Let's say but, set an egg timer. You, okay. could, you could make your own Pomodoro. Yeah. You, could, you could set an egg timer if you don't want to touch your phone. Right. But it's interesting. Like It's, it's angst-producing sometimes to not be able to touch your phone or to go on social media or... You know, we're so conditioned to it. I can't even imagine what children do because... They've had it since birth. You know, we know how to do other things. Yeah. You know that we've we've learned in our life how to well, read books. Well, but and whether you whether you have friends. whether <laughs> you have become addicted to it from birth, whether you're addicted to it 
in the second half of your life. The point that I'm trying to make here is it is all right to pull away from it. And sometimes you need to sort of force your way to, to, to pull away from it. You know, it, it would be great if we were all capable of saying, I don't hold with that. I'm not going to do it. That's not my thing. I'm not going to do it. But most people sort of go along with the way the culture takes us. And that has to do with the danger of this. And what Maury pointed out, the danger of this is your value system starts to become the value system of the society, not your value system. And this is what's most important. You need to set up your own value system. So what your top priorities are and not worry about whether they mesh with what's going on around you. If your family is your top priority, then how you look, what clothes you own, what car you drive, which are all things that are high priorities for other people, may need to be down the list on the priorities. And the trick is not to feel a combat, not to feel a war between what you believe to be a priority and a value in your life and what the rest of society does. You need to be at peace with that. And this is, a, this is a real hard thing to get to because we have a culture that makes you feel like you're missing something if you don't buy in. If you don't know who's winning Dancing with the Stars, if you haven't heard the latest impeachment thing that everybody's breathless about, somehow you are out of it. Uh, if you don't have Facebook, if you don't have the latest Apple phone, you are somehow out of it. We, we don't just live in a society where people tend to follow one another. We live in a society where you're made to feel guilty if you are not. And that goes with what we saw, talked about a few weeks ago about if you're not into with the youth stuff, the stuff that's going on young, then you're just an OK boomer, you know, and they're going to dismiss you. And it also goes with even within your own group, what you're talking about, what you're watching, what you're consuming, how you do it. And People Magazine, for example, is a great example of this. Not so much anymore because it's not as popular as it used to be. But when People Magazine was the number one magazine going in the country and there was a stretch where it was, I talked to somebody about that magazine because I it always sort of there was something underlying about the way the pieces were written that made me a little squirmish I, it made me a little uncomfortable but I couldn't ever put my finger on it and finally I talked with somebody who was in the publishing industry and they said well people magazine is based on the envy of the people that they write about that you will read it with a sense of wanting to be like them, wishing your life was more like them. And it's written with sort of an edge, like it's not quite told that way, but when you're done reading it, that's how you feel. You feel a little inadequate because that person was so special. You feel a little envious because that person looks like that. You feel the sexiest man on earth, the, the sexiest, the awards that they give. And the whole basis of it was jealousy. And I said, you mean you can sell magazines like based on jealousy? Oh, yeah, I was told. Are you kidding? That's kind of the premise. And I thought about that. I said, wow, you know, it takes two to tango in that dance. It takes the people to put it out, but you have to fall victim to it, right? Otherwise, it wouldn't mm -hmm. sell any copies. If everybody said, I'm not reading this, it's just, you know, I don't, who, who are you to say they're the sexiest people on earth or whatever? then nobody would buy it. But it worked. It still works. It still works. And even America's Got Talent, even the Dancing with the Stars, even The Voice, a lot of that is, is predicated on 
people's judgment of other people within a culture. So the yeah. bad people go first. Oh, they're terrible. That guy was so bad. What a joke he was. And then the good ones are saved to the end. And it, there's a little bit of, I want to be like that. And we should all be in competition with one another. I want to be like that. You don't need to buy that. That's the point. You can just shut it off. One of the most remarkable sentences that I ever heard someone say to me is, there's an on-off button. <laughs> Because I would get worked up about something I was seeing and and then they would just, you know, calmly say, there's an on-off button. Shut it off. Maury, go have have a discussion group. Shut it off. But not everybody can do that. Not everybody. Yeah, I've done that recently a lot with like TV news stuff. I just don't. I, I'd rather be blissfully unaware of arguing and people yelling at each other, and I, I just can't take it anymore. Sometimes it's like poison. You know, you feel like you're being poisoned a little bit. I just I, I tune out. Yep. I tune out and do my own thing. I listen to the radio, listen to music. Well, this um, this is good for you. You've brought up now point number three. Okay, we've talked about you know. Uh, the concept of doing it, we've talked about ways in which you can do it. Now, let's talk about the guilt that other people will put on you for doing it. How can you not fill in the blank? You know, you get mocked on even that OK Boomer thing is a mocking of people who frequently find what's going on in the world to be paper thin, to be extraneous, to be silly. Why is everybody making a fuss over this? Okay, boomer. It's dismissive. And Mm -hmm. there are many people who are the baby boomer age that don't want to hear that sentence. So they go along for the ride and they stay in it all the time. Politics is no different. As you brought up, Lisa, I mean, this this is a massive issue that's going on in the country right now where you are... Damned if you do and damned if you don't. Damned if you take a position on the Trump presidency. Damned if you don't take a position on the Trump presidency. You're made to feel that if you don't, uh, about people who don't like Trump and want him out as president, if you don't join this fight, then there's something the matter with you. You don't care about your country. You're basically keeping this person in office. When you want to say, no, I just don't choose to engage in that particular thing. My answer for people who criticize people who don't want to be MSNBC all day, CNN all day, Fox News all day, and they dismiss them as, well, they're the idiots. They're the the deplorables, the great unwashed. I say, no, they're not. They have exactly the same voice as you do on one day every four years. And for all the noise, that's probably the one day that really matters. And if they go out and vote their heart and their conscience, they have done, in my mind, at least the minimum of what you're supposed to do in a democratic society. And they Mm -hmm. don't owe me or anybody else all their time. They don't owe me or anybody else all their attention span. They don't have to Mm -hmm. put in at least five hours a day watching impeachment hearings or they're not good Americans who care about the country. Now, the question to you, our good listeners, is can you deal with that criticism? Are you okay with certain people blasting you in your little social media world or rolling their eyes at you if you don't want to participate in some kind of conversation? Are you all right with that? And that, again, is where 
Maury was, and I learned a lot from him, he, maybe because he was dying. And when you are dying, you're faced with your mortality. It's easy to say, what do I care if they criticize me? Go ahead, criticize me. How are you going to hurt me? And in some way, it would be good to have that attitude all throughout our healthy lives. Go ahead and criticize me. You're not going to hurt me. We, what are we told when we're in elementary school? One of the first things that gets repeated to us over and over again, sticks and stones may break my bones. And we repeat that when we're in first grade or second grade over and over and over. Our parents tell it to us over and over. And then at some point, isn't it interesting, Lisa, that somehow we go away from the sticks and stones may break my bones and we focus on the part that says, but names will never hurt me. And we go, yes, they will. And we become mm -hmm. teenagers and we worry incessantly about what the names that will be called and how they'll hurt us. Right. And what other people think of us. What other people uh, think of us. For anything we do, you know, and that's, that's right. It's really, it's one of the great things of aging, I think, personally. I don't even care anymore. That's so great. Like, I'm <laughs> turning into Maury. <laughs> you know, I really don't care. I'll walk, I'll go to the store in my slippers. I don't care. I mean, <laughs> I mean I'm just not, you know, I mean, I live in LA where it's very, you know, culturally thick with, you know, you must, you have to look a certain way, you whatever, but I don't care. I right. really don't. I do my own thing. I wear the clothes I wear. I like to shop at Target. I'm not super fancy. You know what I mean? I, I like what I like. And Which in LA is like probably, that, yeah. Because <laughs> what you just described is fairly normal for a lot of the country, but, uh, but maybe right. in LA it's sort of... Uh, look down on. Well, I mean, you know, there's like trends, like, you know, it's like, oh, I have to have a, and I think a lot of people, are, you know, I have to have a Louis Vuitton bag. When you talk about, you know, watch like People magazine and magazines and shows like Keeping Up with the Kardashians, just the title of that show alone right. is everything that you're talking right. about. Keeping, keeping up. up with the Kardashians. Well, we're never going to keep up with the Kardashians, right? right? That's my, right. My paycheck will never allow that, not even for a week. So, I mean- I don't really care. I do what I want to do. But you, you raise a good point. Keeping Up is a, it's more than just the name of a TV show involving the Kardashian family. It is a mentality of keeping up with fashion, keeping up with entertainment news, keeping up with celebrity, keeping up with politics, keeping up with everything. You don't have to keep up. This is what I'm saying to you if you're listening to us. It is a race that you will never win because it's a circle. So there's no mm -hmm. end to it. So the running and the running and the running, I always imagine if people who watch five hours of TV news a day or, or bury themselves in pop culture five, six hours a day, and then they, all of a sudden they get that day that Maury had where you're told, all right, time is up. Uh, you're gonna, not going to be here for much longer. Wouldn't your first reaction be, where do I go to get my time back? Where do I mm -hmm. go to get my time back that I spent incessantly watching cable news and yelling at the screen and they didn't even know I was there. Where do I get the time back that I spent chasing after TV shows or movies or following celebrity culture when they didn't even care that I was there? If you didn't invest your time in people who care about you and where that love can be returned, where that attention can be returned in love, you're going to find that you deposited your emotions and your time in a, in a slot that goes right into a big empty hole. And there, you look in the hole and there's nothing there for you. And so if you really want to sort of cheat death a little bit, put your chips on immortality a little bit, it is not in keeping up with the culture. It's in every act of kindness and sharing that you give to somebody else that comes back to you 
in the form of a memory or a friend or, a, or someone who will come and, and visit you when you're sick or when you have trouble. Nobody, in the, nobody on Fox News is coming to visit you. Uh, nobody mm-hmm. in the movies, none of the Avengers are actually coming. <laughs> They're not coming oh, to your it. house. Yeah, Iron Man will not fly through the window and say, you know, you spent so much time watching my movies, I'm going to spend a little time sitting here with you, holding your hand while you're sick. It won't happen. So the people who criticize you, which is the point we're on, understand, as Maury did, listen to this cut here, where that sense of superiority and where that anger may be coming from. I don't believe that these people are really internally satisfied with their life. And they do it out of a driving hatred for things or a driving power that they, keeps them a sense of being somebody or a drive for money. Whatever it is, it isn't a fully quiet, serene, functional ego that takes in the world and all its beauty and appreciates it and the people in it. They're always working at this meanness. If you try to fight with them, that only brings out their defenses. Always working at this meanness. Now that was said in 1995, and it is still true today, maybe more so. The, this, remember, this was pre-Twitter, pre-Facebook, pre any of the social media ways there are to shame people now, to call people names, that innate meanness that, uh, that, that exists in some people and the desire to put other people down and to make themselves feel better as a result of it, that's, that's nothing new and that's not going to go away. So once you know that, if you feel like you're being sort of bullied into accepting a culture, accepting a set of values, accepting that you have to have a certain amount of money, a certain status, a certain job position, recognize where that's coming from. Because once you can understand the nature of the people that you're afraid of criticizing you, you'll no longer be afraid of them criticizing you. Because if they are going to criticize you for not keeping up with the Joneses, they're probably the Joneses, you know. And mm-hmm. once you can accept, well, that's not what I want to do, then their opinion doesn't matter. Okay, that was four points. Here's the fifth. So we talked about the culture. We talked about, you know, okay, not buying into the culture. We talked about how you uh, uh, have to deal with those types of things and the steps that you can take. So what's your alternative? What is your alternative? What beats the culture? Well... In Maury's view, it was very clear the way to find true meaning in your life. And I'll play you a little cut where he sums that up. The way to get meaning in your life is to devote yourself to the truth, to discovering the truth and speaking the truth. To devote yourself to being good, meaning to be concerned about others and their welfare as well as your own, and in the community, and to beauty, to devote yourself to creating something, whatever it is. It could be a poem, or, you know, the little articles that you write, mm-hmm. or the big grand sculptures, or just making 
beautiful flower arrangement. But these are the things that give you purpose and meaning. And if you're going around just worrying about your job, worrying about your money, worrying about who's going to beat you out, you get depressed. Mm -hmm. Because what's it all about? So you notice in that cut, Maury did not talk about the way you get meaning in your life is with the 85-inch color television set, not the 75-inch. The way you get meaning in your life is with the Tesla, not the Lincoln. The way you get meaning in your life is with the 6,500-square-foot house, not in that little 3,000-square-foot bungalow. Hmm. The way you get (laughs) meaning in your life is to know the stars of every movie that was nominated for an Oscar. He didn't say that, right? He didn't say anything like that. He talked about connections between other people. And we've talked about this before, Lisa, and I've said it before, but I'll say it again. And I wrote about it in Finding Chica, my my book that's out now, that I never knew the satisfaction, the richness if you, for want of a better word, but that is a good word, that I could find from just holding a child like Chica, even though she was sick. I never thought about what I was missing. I, you know, I had to drop out of the culture for the better part of two years while Chica was battling her, her brain tumor. That meant no more dinners out and no more movies out and no more, I oh, can't do this weekend because we're in New York trying to get a medical treatment. Can't do this because we got to go to Germany to try to find a medical treatment. All those things fell by the wayside. I found myself hopelessly sort of out of touch with what was happening in the news, what was happening in entertainment. Someone said, did you see that movie? I don't even know what that movie is. Oh, it sounds good. Can I go? Oh, it's not in the theaters anymore. That was out three months ago. <laughs> was... Oh, missed <laughs> right. it. Missed it. You know, I did see Frozen for the 47th time because I watched it with Chica. <laughs> you know, I survived and I didn't miss it all. And I was doing something that gave me purpose. And that's what Maury talked about. Find something that gives you purpose. Then find something that's creative and contributes to the world. Whether it you want to go paint, you want to make music in your basement, it doesn't have to sell at the Guggenheim. It doesn't have to have a thousand million downloads on Apple or it's not worth doing. It is worth mm-hmm. doing. It's worth doing it because it gives you a sense of meaning. And to get away from the fame, the money, and all the rest of the stuff that our culture teaches us to do is to allow yourself to immerse yourself in things for the simple joy of doing that thing. It doesn't have to have a purpose. A friend of mine, an editor of mine at HarperCollins, Karen Rinaldi, wrote a book that was really very interesting. It's out there now. It's called It's Good to Suck at Something. And basically, <laughs> the premise of it is that we spend so much time trying to be great at whatever it is that we are doing. You go to work and you just have to get better and better and better. Or if you have a hobby, you stay with it because you're good at it. But if you're bad at it, you drop it. You know, you only stay at the stuff you're really good at. You only play a sport that you're really good at. You, you, and, and she was a surfer, and uh, she loved surfing, but she was terrible at it. She just bad. And she kept talking about how bad she was at it, but she really loved it. And so she just kept doing it, even though she was bad at it. Mm-hmm. And that is countercultural. 
that is not the way American society anyhow puts an emphasis on things. It's just to be really good at it and go tell your friends how good you are. You know, very few people, very few men anyhow, come in off the golf course and brag about how much fun they had shooting a 115. You only hear these people say, yeah, I was out there on a track yesterday, so out of 76. <laughs> it's always about bragging and, 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 and telling people how great you are at it. I like the idea of sucking at something. That's not buying the culture. That's saying I'm going to do something and be bad at it and enjoy being bad mm-hmm. at it. Do you have anything in your life that, you, that you're terrible at that, uh, that you still really like doing? Yeah, I'm not a great bowler, but I love bowling. I don't know why I love, I love going to bowling alleys. I love the sound of it. I love, you know, it reminds me of my dad Mm -hmm. and, um, uh, you know, it's just super fun for me, but I'm a horrible bowler, but people, people also like that with uh, singing. Uh, and I, I admire the oh, people yes, who really I like to sing, people. sing in the shower, sing at the karaoke bars, mm-hmm. and they're terrible, but they just love to belt it out. Maury wasn't a great dancer. He was, he was a lot better than me, I'm sure. But his love of dancing was enough. And that's the thing. If you love something and you can pursue it, that's so much better. That is your own culture. Make your own. As Maury said, don't buy the culture. Make your own. Make it up to things that you love to do. Make it with mm-hmm. people that you love to be around. Don't worry about tuning in to what's going on in society. If anything should be learned, and this is a great irony of where we are now with 999 channels on a cable system and then with endless possibilities on the Netflix and Disney Plus and streaming capabilities. There's a funny routine, I think Saturday Night Live did it, where they, or some TV show where they just made fun of the Netflix choices. And, and like someone just spent mm-hmm. their whole life just going from one choice to the choice <laughs> to the choice to the uh-huh. next. And they never actually watch anything because they just keep right. going around. And by the time they get around to seeing all the possible things, there's a bunch of new stuff that could come on. Right. And so you're stuck. <laughs> Well, they used to say in New York City, uh, there were so many restaurants that opened and closed that it would take you three years to eat in every one of them just in Manhattan. But the average one was closed like in a year and a half or something. So you would never right. catch up because by the time <laughs> right. you tried another new place, you spend your whole life chasing after going to a new restaurant. You spend your whole right. life chasing after the newest thing on Netflix. You would think with all of these choices... We would wisen up and realize there's no way, there's no way to keep up with this. So let me just pull back and just do my own thing. If anything should have taught us, make your own culture, it's when the culture becomes a thousand buffet tables lined up together. Instead, what most Mm -hmm. of us do is try to eat from all the buffet tables. We try to get to every Mm -hmm. one. Well, I need to add Disney Plus now, and I've got to throw that on top of my HBO Go and my Showtime this and and, and my Netflix that and my Hulu that. One more. I just need one more. I don't want to be left out. Or i I got to watch one more debate. I've got to watch one more hour of the politics. I've got to buy one more piece of clothing because I saw that this is what's trending. Here at Christmas time, this is a great opportunity now, going into the Christmas shopping season, to say to yourself, okay, I'm not buying into this. I know a lot of people, by the way, who have done this at Christmas. Christmas seems to be a, a real kind of a fulcrum uh, point where people say, you know what, this year I'm just not, I'm not doing it. I told everybody I'm making a charitable donation to all of you, and that's it. 
Have you heard this? A lot of people like that have kind of sworn off certain things at Christmas. Oh, yeah. I tried to do this a couple of years ago. A few years, well, a few years ago now. Our neighbors, we always have a, um, they always give, you know, we have this little group of neighbors that always exchange gifts with each other. And we have so much stuff here that I don't need, you know, too many things in my house. I already have too much clutter. So I'm always like, why don't we, one year I suggested, why don't we just donate to a charity that means something to us and we'll just have dinner together? <gasps> you would think that I said Santa Claus is an awful man. <laughs> right. They Sorry. hated me. I got like, well, you can't do that. This is what we do and this is our thing. And I got like, I got like lambasted for being wow. the one that tried to suggest let's give to people who need it. You know, right. so then I just said, well, then you don't have to give to me, you know, but then I was like, well, wait a minute. I just don't want to keep buying things for people that you don't you find yourself forced to find things. Right. It's not like I'm buying something meaningful. I'm like, oh, uh, you know, last minute you're at the store. Right. Forcing oh. oh, he yourself. liked Elvis. Let's get the let's yeah. get the Elvis painting. Right. Yeah, yeah, and I it's it, it's that always is at CVS of... usually. That's the <laughs> last right. last place. Open. Oh, trust me, I'm going to tell you, I am a very big Rite Aid shopper. Yeah. Um, yeah. but you know, like said, the only place that's open at five o'clock on Christmas Eve. <laughs> it's yeah, true. Yeah. Here's a pack of thank you cards. I can buy somebody. But you're that only can send me you're doing card. it because the culture tells you to do it, and you're doing it because everybody yes. else does it. And it's it is hard. I know it's hard to break away from that, but it's not wrong. That's my point. I'm not telling people that they should this year don't do, don't give presents or this year. That's an individual choice. What I'm saying is if you make that individual choice, as Maury frequently had to and did, don't be ashamed of it. Don't feel uh, there's something seriously wrong with me because I'm not buying into the culture. There's, it's not. You're not wrong. You're just uh, following your heart. Or even into the excess of the culture in giving, because that's how I feel like Christmas is. When I was a kid, I remembered one of my friends said to me, and for some reason it stuck with me my whole life, how many presents did you get yeah. yesterday? Uh-huh. I got 12 or whatever. And I remember going home and I counted and I thought, oh, geez, I only got nine. You know, it for some dumb reason, that stuck with me my whole life. And my husband always teases me because he's like, you're the one who has to get all the presents, hmm. you know. And and I don't really, but there's something in me about that thing that and happened. And how long ago you know? was that? 40 years oh, ago? Oh, I'm t- talking oh, at least 40 years ago. Yeah. And it, it never left me. It's you. that counting. But, you know, it, and it, as he always says, we don't need anything, right? So I buy you one thing that means something, you buy me something that means something just to celebrate the holiday. And that should be good enough. You know, that's, that's how it should be. I, he doesn't need to walk in the house with 50 boxes, right. but somewhere in the back of my mind, I'm like, Where, where's, where's the rest of this? Where's stuff? my other 49? Where's, where's my other my 49? Other oh, this is really nice. Where's my other 49? Yeah. Well, you know, look, we got to get out of that mindset. It's excess. It's right. too much. And please don't, think, folks, that this is coming from on a mountaintop here. I'm speaking no. from experience, and I'm talking to myself, and I know Lisa is as, as much as talking to you, uh, because it is hard to break free of it. It is hard to uh, take an original path. But I do know, and I can say with certainty, that I learned from my old professor that if you take that path, if you don't buy the culture, if you go dancing by yourself at night, if you have the discussion groups, if you 
turn everything off, if you don't listen to that particular show, if you don't get caught up on the news as much as everybody else is, you are not wrong. You are not doing something evil. You're not doing something weird. You're not doing something that deserves to be mocked. You're building your own culture. And that's the point of today's podcast. If you don't like the culture that's out there, and there's a lot of it that is not likable, don't buy it. Leave it on the shelf. Take the parts of the culture that you enjoy. There's there's plenty of things, particularly in American life, that are worthwhile and good and all the rest of it. No one's saying that you, know, you have to throw off the yoke of living in this country. That's not it at all. But take the stuff that you like. Leave the stuff that you don't. Leave it on the shelf and just say, this is going to be my culture. I read a, a, an interesting piece about Jimmy Carter and Rosalind Carter just this week about how they live their lives even today in the same house that basically they were living in uh, before he became president. They never left Plains, Georgia. They eschewed a lot of the stuff that comes with being a president or being a former president. Uh, Jimmy Carter didn't even want Hail to the Chief played when he was president because he thought it's kind of like, eh, sort of aggrandizing the the, the guy in the office, hail to the chief, really. And so let's just not play that. He kind of made his own culture. And when he was done, he did not behave like other presidents have behaved. He didn't go out on the lecture circuit charging, you know, $100,000 for a speech. Uh, he ran Habitat for Humanity and many other things. And while you may or may, or may not love Jimmy Carter, anytime you bring up a political figure, you run a risk. And I'm not telling you you should like him or not like him. I'm saying I admire the way that he sort of said, I was once the most powerful person in the country, possibly on the planet, but I'm okay now being another citizen of Plains, Georgia. He talks at church every week, living in the same house. I don't, I don't have to buy into that thing that I've made it, and that's what, that's what a person who's made it, and that's what a big name does. A big name does this. He really kind of flipped the culture of former presidents, and there's not been one since him that's done it. The ones who are still alive or who, who lived after their presidencies pretty much enjoyed being post-presidents, and, and uh, they've made a lot of money off of it. The Obamas were paid 60-some million dollars just for a couple of books being written, and Oof. forget about their movie deals and all the rest of it. Uh, we know what Reagan did after he got out of office. So, and again, I'm not picking on any of those people. I'm just saying he did it differently. Still does it differently, and makes his own culture. He and his and and his wife make their own culture. Why not? So you can do it, and you should do it. It will lead to a happier life, and it will certainly lead ultimately when we reach the end to a happier final days because you're going to be able to say, as Frank Sinatra sang, I did it my way. And there's a reason that that song resonates with people so much across generations, because deep down, all of us sort of have that longing to be our own person, to be our own man, to be our own woman. But it's hard when the culture is telling you to be something else. So if you don't like the culture, you don't have to buy it. That's why there are shelves. Put it back on the shelf, leave the store, <laughs> leave the culture store, and go. Uh, I'll leave you with this final soundbite from Maury Schwartz. So you think it's a better course of action to simply separate yourself from the popular culture here and develop a personal culture? Well, let's put it this way. You use the culture as much as you can without violating things you believe in. I don't go around naked. 
So I said, oh, get me in trouble. Mm -hmm. I get you cold. <laughs> I don't go around breaking the law, passing red lights, so on. Mm -hmm. The small things I obey. But when it comes to viewing and seeing and understanding, that's where I take my differences and try to use them. Mm -hmm. So that is going to wrap up today's edition of Tuesday People, the podcast that we do every Tuesday. And we're very happy to now announce, Lisa, you can give the details of this, that you can participate. We wanted to do this right from the start, but technology was a little faster than we were. But you can now participate yes. in the show. Uh, where you have a phone number, and you'll be able to ask questions. You'll be able to, and we're going to set up some times where I'm going to be able to speak with you, and then we'll include it as part of our podcast uh, when it actually comes out. So, Lisa, give the details, if you would. We're calling it the Tuesday People Storyline. If you have an inspiring, unique, or universal experience you want to share with other Tuesday people here, after reading Tuesdays with Maury, after listening to our podcast, if there's a question that you would have liked to have asked Maury, leave us a message on our Tuesday People Storyline. We might use your message on the show. Or as Mitch just said, we might call you back and have a conversation with you that we will include in our podcast. Yeah. So it's kind of cool. We're glad it's up. And the phone number is? Get out your pens. It's uh, 248-621-4701. 248-621-4701. I tried to find some words that would match that phone number, but there really aren't any. <laughs> no, there aren't um, any. I ran it through. They Couldn't have get 1-800-MORI, huh? That wasn't no, available. <laughs> no, they they have, a, uh, they have like an app thing that you can run numbers through, and it'll give right. you the words. and. Um, Didn't spell anything good? Was, it wasn't really spelling anything. All right. Well, <laughs> so, once more, the number is 248. It is 248-621-4701. 621-4701. And you can call that any time uh, right now mm -hmm. to leave a message, leave, leave the idea, leave a question uh, that you'd like answered on the program, uh, leave a story that you think is, is relevant to some of Maury's lessons. And uh, you may find it as part of our program. So we look forward to that participation. And we're so grateful to have you joining us here today in the Tuesday People community. Until we see you next Tuesday, on behalf of Lisa Goich, this is Mitch Album saying, remember, you don't have to buy the culture and you don't have to buy that third tricycle <laughs> for, if you've already gotten two of them or that third TV set when you're out Christmas shopping or whatever it is. Just follow your own heart and it won't lead you astray. Till we see you again, this is Mitch Album saying have a great week. Thank you for listening to Tuesday People. To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at wetuesdaypeople.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because, after all, we're Tuesday people.